0: It is good to be back with you again. I bring you greetings from the wind and the waves of South Haven. (laughs) Seems like that's in the news every night as we lose more and more beach and uh, we smile about it but it is uh, certainly for many people a very serious thing and uh, we covet uh, your prayers for the entire shoreline from Muskegon all the way on down to uh, Benton Harbor and, and south of there as well. But it is good to be here. It's always good to be part of your fellowship and to join you in worship, and we're delighted that the uh, weather held good enough that we could, uh, could do that this morning. Pastor Kevin told me the series that he was doing on this stretching and exercising, and he said there were a number of things he wanted to cover, but there were some things he left on the cutting floor, and one of them, he said, was the idea of rest, and I thought, well, after all the stretching, you probably could use some rest. So he went to get some rest, and I'm coming to preach on rest, something, I think he came out on the good end of the deal, but anyways... We want to look at three passages of Scripture this morning as we think about rules for restful, not restful, but restful living. First of all, from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah, the 30th chapter, beginning to read at verse 15. Isaiah 30, verses 15 through 22. Hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. But you would have none of it. You said, no, we will flee on horses. Therefore, you will flee. You said, we will ride off on swift horses. Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away till you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. O people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes, you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. Then you will defile your idols overlaid with silver and your images covered with gold. You will throw them away like a menstrual cloth and say to them, away with you. Remaining in the prophets, we turn to the prophecy of Daniel. One of the familiar stories of, of Daniel. The sixth chapter. Sounds kind of odd to say it, but it, this is the preparation for Daniel being thrown into the den of lions. We'll start with chapter 6, verse 1, and read through verse 16. It pleased Darius to appoint 120 satraps to rule throughout the kingdom, with three administrators over them, one of whom was Daniel. The satraps were made accountable to them so that the king might not suffer loss. Now, Daniel so distinguished himself among the administrators and the satraps by his exceptional qualities that the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. At this, the administrators and the satraps tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Finally, these men said, We will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So the administrators and the satraps went as a group to the king and said, O King Darius, live forever. The royal administrators, prefects, satraps, advisors and governors have all agreed that the king should issue an edict and enforce the decree that anyone who prays to any god or man during the next 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into the lion's den. Now, O king... Issue the decree and put it in writing so that it cannot be altered in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be annulled. So King Darius put the decree in writing. Now when Daniel learned that the decree had been published, he went home to his upstairs room where the windows opened toward Jerusalem. Three times a day he got down on his knees and prayed, giving thanks to his God just as he had done before. Then these men went as a group and found Daniel praying and asking God for help. So they went to the king and spoke to him about his royal decree. Did you not publish a decree that during the next 30 days anyone who prays to any god or man except to you, O king, would be thrown into the lion's den? The king answered, The decree stands in accordance with the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be annulled. Then they said to the king, Daniel, who is was one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or to the decree you put in writing. He still prays three times a day. When the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. He was determined to rescue Daniel and made every effort until sundown to save him. Then the men went as a group to the king and said to him, Remember, O king, that according to the law, of the Medes and Persians, no decree or edict that the king issues can be changed. So the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel and threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, May your God whom you serve continually rescue you and then the invitation of Jesus from the 11th chapter of Matthew starting at verse 28 Matthew 11:28 Jesus said come to me all you who are weary and burdened and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Lord God, we know that your word is true. We need to learn how to live in its light. So teach us and speak to us, we pray, through Christ our Lord. Amen. Have you ever been tired, weary, worn out, just simply in need of rest? Has anyone ever said to you something like, You know, you wouldn't be so tired if, or you'd have more energy if and how did they fill in the blank? Or how would you fill in the blank? How is your life? Are you rest less? Or rest full? I love the guy on the right. Smart enough to rest, he just did not aware. But anyways, I couldn't resist couldn't the picture. Are you restless or restful? God wants our lives to be restful. And so he has established a rhythm of life, of, of rest and work. But it's a rhythm that most of us ignore to our peril. So it's important this morning for us to look at a couple of rules for rest. Think back for a moment, for some of us it's a long ways back, but think back for a moment to your preschool and kindergarten days. If your teacher or one of your parents said to you, okay, you should probably rest now, what would have happened? It would have kept playing. They had to apply some rules and use some authority to get you to rest. It's the same with God, our Heavenly Father. He knows if left to ourselves, we will not, and so he has applied some rules that help us lead restful lives. I lift up two of them today. Rule number one is to regularly observe a Sabbath day. That's what provides the foundation and the rhythm for a life of rest. Now, yes, it comes from the Ten Commandments, and we don't have time to go into the, to the whole commandment today, but let's kind of tell the backstory story again. The Israelites had, had lived in Egypt as slaves for over 400 years, and they had pretty much had to toil 24-7 the entire time. They were being treated as production machines. And so the idea of a seventh day and a day of rest was pretty much just that. It was an idea that had long since been forgotten. So before the Israelites entered the promised land, God repeated the law, and the Deuteronomy version of the Ten Commandments gives the reason for the day of rest. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. This Sabbath day, this Sabbath rest, was to serve as a sign and celebration of their celebration and liberation by God. A faithful Sabbath, therefore, leads us into the rest of regeneration. When we celebrate God in that way, we are regenerated. In fact, we learn from Leviticus 25 that God created the world in such a way that even the land, the earth, needed rest. And that's based on the concept of the seventh day. In Leviticus 25, God says the earth must rest. And he said, every seventh year, rest the land. Do not grow. Leave it unplanted so that the earth can be renewed and regenerated. The Jews were to be intentional about resting their land. And during that year of land rest, they were not to worry about losing produce. They were to learn to trust how God would, in fact, provide anyways. It was time for renewal of the land, and God was teaching his people to trust. And what's true of the land, what's true of the earth, is true for us as well. After all, we are created from the earth, are we not? Our bodies and our souls need rest and regeneration. According to Genesis, sin made work a burden. So God gave the Sabbath as a gift to unburden ourselves from work. Remember when Jesus Jesus was charged by the Pharisees because he and the disciples picked some grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus' response was, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, God did not create humankind so he would have someone to observe a Sabbath. Rather, he created the Sabbath so humankind could be regenerated and refreshed. And oh, how we need the rest, because too often we are simply overextended. A major part of our tiredness or our rest-less problem is we used to try to work five days a week, then we'd have a day for all the personal stuff, and, and then taking a day of rest and Sabbath was no problem at all. But Now it seems work takes six or seven days a week. We try to cram worship and everything else in onto this day, and it's far from a day of rest. Some years ago, in his medical practice, Dr. Richard Swenson reported he was seeing a steady stream of hurting people coming into his office, and he claimed a majority of them suffered from a new chronic ailment, which he felt had reached epidemic proportions in our country. He gave the yeoman a name. It was called lack of margin. A margin is that that space that exists between us and our limits. In that scenario where we used to try to do everything in in five days, and we had a sixth day and a seventh day, if something came up, we, we had extra room to move and maneuver. But with life so full, when something comes, our world crashes down around us. Swenson said, as a society, we've forgotten what margin is. In the push for progress, margin has been devoured and we're overloaded. He says, the results are we feel distressed, we're besieged by anxiety, stress, and fatigue. Our relationships suffer. We have unexplained aches and pains, and the flood of daily events seems beyond our control. Does that sound at all familiar? The seventh day of rest therefore has tremendous significance for us. Now understand that God did not designate Saturday or Sunday necessarily as the seventh day. He just declared a seventh day. The word Sabbath, in fact, means intermission or break. The Jews followed God's pattern of creation and they chose that seventh day, Saturday, as the Sabbath. Christians moved it to Sunday because of the resurrection, but it became their, their Sabbath, their seventh day, Saturday or Sunday may not work for you, but then some other day must. In fact, have you ever thought about preachers and people who lead worship? Sabbath day on Sunday for you is not a Sabbath day of rest for them, and those of us in ministry have had to find other days to be that seventh day, but there needs to be that seventh day. A certain day is not binding, but a day is And the truth is, God didn't rest because he was tired. He rested because he was satisfied. So even as God entered into a time of enjoyment of what he has made, so should we. We are to enter into God's rest and celebrate him. Celebrate that Jesus has brought us out of bondage into the land and life of grace. And that means we must be very intentional in our worship on this day. We need to remember and celebrate our God. It's a day in which we need to cease from all work. We need to cease from our work to remind us that the world will get along just fine without us and God can manage the world just fine without us as well. It's a day to find ways and means to demonstrate the mercy and deliverance of God. We need to establish a Sabbath day. But that needs to become part of our daily lives as well. Rule number two is establish a rule of life. Now what do I mean by a rule of life? Peter Cesaro, who has written extensively on living by daily discipline, says a rule of life is a call to order our entire life in such a way That the love of Christ comes before all else. And then he points out the word rule comes from the Greek word for trellis. A trellis is a tool that enables a grapevine to get off the ground and grow upward, becoming more fruitful and productive in the same way. A rule of life is a trellis that helps us abide in Christ and become more fruitful spiritually. A rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. And the starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love Him. This rule of life, this this trellis, does at least three things. It gets us out of the mud and the mire and the muck of everyday life. It helps us grow straighter and taller and it enables us to be more productive and fruitful. It was several years ago now that I went to work at setting up a better routine of disciplines and actions for my own personal trellis. And it was during that time that Isaiah thirty fifteen captured me again in a new way. In repentance and rest is your salvation. In quietness and trust is your strength. In returning to God, which is what repentance means, in returning to God in resting in Jesus, we find our wholeness, which then enables a quiet confidence that guides us through the circumstances and situations of life. Consider just two biblical illustrations of this rule of life. One is Daniel. We, we just read from Daniel. His rule of life included praying three times a day. The Babylonians knew that this was the source of his integrity and his wisdom and his power and they also knew the only way to bring him down was somehow to interrupt that. And so as we read, they tricked the king into setting up this edict. The edict was set up that you could pray to no one but the king and what did Daniel do? Nothing different than he had done before. He just went back to his house and he prayed three times a day. He followed his rule of life. And it led him straight into the lion's den. Where, as we know, God shut the mouths of the lions and preserved his life. I like what someone said once. They said the lions couldn't eat Daniel because he was all backbone. <laughs> <laughs> he was all backbone because of his rule of life. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. The other biblical illustration is Jesus himself. He too had a rule of life. Repeatedly, the gospel writers say that he went apart to rest and to pray. In fact, it was so evident as the source of his power and his strength and his wisdom that it's the only thing the disciples ever asked Jesus to teach them. Teach us to pray. Teach us how to rest. As Bruce and Kathy Epperly state, Jesus invited them to move from anxiety about many things to experiencing peace in all things by following the one God and the many adventures of life. To the harried followers then and now, Jesus suggested an alternative way of life, grounded in trusting God's presence and seeking God's realm in every situation. In repentance and rest is your salvation, in quietness and trust is your strength. It might just be the prescription for you. So here's a basic, brief prescription for establishing daily discipline for your life. The principle is stated in Galatians 6.8, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. I offer two suggestions for establishing your trellis. First, establish regular times each day. Daily, put yourself in the presence of God so that he can transform you. Set aside five minutes, even three to four times a day to shut out the voices of the world and to tune back into the frequency of the Holy Spirit Some of you are probably saying, but you don't know my schedule. You don't know how busy I am. Get up five minutes earlier. Cut lunch with a coffee break five minutes shorter. Sit in the car for five minutes before driving home from work. Go to bed five minutes later, or better yet, turn the TV off five minutes earlier. The reality is there's not one of us seated here today that cannot find five minutes here and there throughout the day to retune. That was a major part of the reasoning behind the Jews' mandatory prayer times each day. And yes, there will be days and circumstances where you just fail to do it and it it, it couldn't be done. That's okay. Don't quit. Don't give up. Get up the next day and keep going. It's not like it's a commandment that if you break it, God's going to zap you. He won't do that. As John Ortberg said, the Spirit of God is tenacious. All that is needed in any moment is a sincere desire to be submitted to the Spirit's leading. We need not worry about God's response. A sincere heart never needs to fear God is mad. Secondly, when you establish that regular time, turn your mind and heart towards Christ. Paul put it this way in his letter to the Colossians. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Set your minds. Set is an active verb. It is something you need to do. Fill that five minutes with prayer. With reading scripture, or listening to the music that fills your soul, or focusing on a devotional that speaks to you. The possibilities are endless. What you do will be different than what I do, and that's okay, it should be. Again, as John Ortberg points out, what would grow an orchid would drown a cactus, what would feed a mouse would starve an elephant. We're all different. God grows us each differently. Experiment it till you find what works but make the decision to start. And here's the good news. Following the rules will yield great results. First, observing the rules will develop spiritual muscle. Spending time with Jesus is like plugging in an appliance and receiving power A rule of life connects us with a reality that is deeper and greater and beyond ourselves. It connects us to Jesus and the life that flows from him into us. Just as physical exercise develops physical muscle, so spiritual exercises develop spiritual muscle. There was a story quite a few years ago now in Meat and Poultry magazine. I hate I hesitate to tell the story because over the years we've found that parts of it probably are embellished and only parts of it are true, but it makes such a good point, I want to share it with you anyways. The editors reported in that issue of the magazine that a device used by the United States Federal Aviation Administration to test the strength of windshields on airplanes They'd invented a device, and that device would launch a dead chicken at a plane's windshield at approximately the speed that planes fly, and that would test the strength of the windshield. Because we know that many accidents are caused by birds flying into the windshields of planes. Well, the British railway executives were so impressed that they wanted to borrow the FAA's chicken launcher to test the windshield of one of their new high-speed train engines. in their test, however, the chicken not only went through the windshield, it went through the chair of the engineer and embedded itself in the wall at the back of the engine. So they called the FAA and asked them to research what had happened, and after thoroughly checking it out, the the FAA had one recommendation. Next time, don't use a frozen chicken. (laughs) Why did I tell this maybe partially true story? A rule of life, building a spiritual trellis, establishing the daily disciplines, develop spiritual muscles that will indeed help us to stand tall when those frozen chickens are launched against us, intentionally or otherwise. (laughs) At least you'll remember it. (laughs) The second result is you'll be given direction and guidance for living. Even just a few moments set aside each day gives God the opportunity to retune your GPS for your day's journey. In that passage in Isaiah we read, whether you turn to the right or to the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. God will speak so we can act. He'll give guidance. The great African-American preacher Robert Smith a wonderful writing in one of his sermons that was a helpful spin on this word guidance. He wrote, When I meditated on the word guidance, I kept seeing dance at the end of the word. I remember reading that doing God's will is a lot like dancing. When two people try to lead, nothing feels right. The movement doesn't flow with the music and everything is quite uncomfortable and jerky. When one person realizes that and lets the other lead, both bodies begin to flow with the music. One gives gentle cues, perhaps with a nudge to the back, or by pressing lightly in one direction or another. It's as if two become one body, moving beautifully. The dance takes surrender, willingness, and attentiveness from one person, and gentle guidance and skill from the other. My eyes drew back to the word guidance. When I saw G, I thought of God, followed by you and I. God, you, and I dance. God, you, and I dance. As I lowered my head, I became willing to trust that I would get guidance about my life. Once again, I became willing to let God lead. Result number three. Is you will find rest and peace. Again, from our Isaiah passage, yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. He rises to show you compassion for the Lord the God of justice. Blessed are all who wait for him. John Ortberg wrote that he once asked Dallas Willard, who was one of the greatest coaches of spiritual mentors and spiritual disciplines how Dallas himself monitored the condition of his own soul. Dallas replied that he regularly asked himself two questions. Am I growing more or less irritated these days? Am I growing more or less easily discouraged these days? The psalmist understood it. Psalm 92, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green. And the fourth and final result is you'll be loving and honoring God. There was a television ad some time ago which featured a dad teaching his son how to play catch. And as the camera zoomed in on the dad, we realized that he was throwing off the wrong foot. And then his son was mimicking him. But the ad was not to make fun of the father. The ad was pointing out how much the, father, the son enjoyed being in the father's presence because in the father's presence he knew that he was loved because dad was spending time with him. Indeed, our daily disciplines are not so much a matter of doing everything right and on time as they are an expression of love for Jesus as we spend time with him. And he feels so honored when we do so. Back to the verse that meant so much to me. In repentance and rest is your salvation in quietness and trust is your strength. But notice the very next words. But you would have none of it. We have a choice. Reject God's rule for life and struggle through our circumstances and situations or build a trellis and have strength for our circumstances and situations. We each need to make a choice. But know this. Either choice is dangerous. To reject God's rule is to distance yourself from him and cut yourself off from any of his benefits. Build a trellis will leave you wanting to spend even more time with him. Which danger would you rather have? Let's pray. Lord God. In repentance and rest is our salvation, and in quietness and trust is our strength. Help us hear again the words of Jesus. Come, all who weary and are heavy laden. And I will give you give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me and you will have rest. Lord, instill within us a deeper desire to build the trellis to allow you to give us the rest we need not just for our sakes, but for the sake of the gospel we represent to the world and for the sake of Jesus Christ, in whom we pray. Amen.